You're listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin, making the real estate journey accessible to anyone. Hey friends, thanks for uh, joining us. This is episode five of the podcast. We're really excited about this episode. We're uh, basically going to be talking about the hidden cost of real estate. Um, it's very similar. Like for example, I don't know about you guys. I'm very into knowing what I'm walking into. There's no way of knowing everything, but I like to know, like, for example, when you buy a car, some cars need like premium gas or like synthetic oil. And those are added costs that are going to be on you whenever you buy that car. And it's kind of one of those, it is what it is things, but it's kind of nice to know. And so it's the same thing with real estate. Like when you buy a house, there's the obvious costs that are there, like the down payment and whatnot. Uh, but there's also a lot of these hidden costs. So today we're going to be touching on some of the things that are going to be hidden costs. My name is Sajan Abraham. I'm here joined with Siju Koshi. Thanks again for clicking and joining us. Before we get started, Siju, how's everything going, man? How's life? Going good, brother. New year started. You know, yeah. we're kind of uh, back on the grind. Um, you know, work, everything, real estate is kind of, you know, kind of pushing through. So we're just uh, starting the year off, you know, and just hoping we can do this right, you know, <laughs> this time. <laughs> Did, did you uh, did you uh, survive Snowmageddon? Uh yeah, barely made it out, dude. I mean, I was I mean, I was I was debating there. I was almost snowed in for you know. We're, we're based out of uh, a suburb of Houston, and like we don't get snow. That's not a thing here. We still didn't get snow. We didn't get any snow. We got nothing. I mean, like North Texas, Central Texas got some, but we got nothing. We got wet rain, yeah. cold, cold, wet. You know, whatever. So it wasn't really that great, but you know, it is what it is. Yep. No, everything's oh, good, brother. I mean, we're just that's hanging here, man. Yeah. Good, dude. That's good to hear, man. It's the same here. Like, we're just kind of chugging along. So, uh, but yeah, let's get started, man. So, uh, I guess, Siju, you know, just off the bat, like, what are some costs that might not be so obvious when you're getting into the real estate game? Yeah, you know, you, I think you hit it and you said, it may be nice to know some of these costs. I think it's, you have to know some of these costs, right? Like, I mean, the, like, to get into especially something like real estate, which is so money intensive right and it's it's a big it's a big chunk of uh, an investment that you're putting into i think it's very important that you know all costs involved right and um, i think this episode's really good in calling it the hidden cost of real estate because a lot of people don't factor that into it right so there's going to be about five to six costs that i'm going to talk about like at least from the the closing or purchasing of a of a real estate property that's going to that that's going to factor in that's that's big actually because when you're right. talking about cash flowing for property, you want to make sure you have everything that you're going to have to pay out of your pocket covered, right? Right, right. Um, the rent better cover all that. And then anything more than that is what your surplus is. Right. So the one, the biggest one is taxes. A lot of people fail to look and see what the tax rate is in their area for the, per, the property that they're buying. And now this can range anywhere from a, let's just say a hundred thousand dollar property can cost you $3,000 in taxes to a, a high end school district or high end area where it's five and 6% uh, taxes, right? So you're talking right. about thousands of dollars every year you have to pay in taxes, which right. you, know, you have to accumulate for. A lot of people don't take that into factor. Right. And um, so that's your biggest, I think, hidden cost that uh, people don't take into fact. Sure. Well, just to piggyback on that, like, my first property, well, my, not my first, uh, one, the, the properties that we lived in were in a better school district, so the taxes were higher. When we turned that into a rental, I, I was naive at that time. I didn't really think about it, and I still don't regret it. I don't regret the fact that we made it a rental, 
but it really plays into a factor as far as how much profit you're walking away with. You know, you'll still okay. be profitable, but when you look at other properties where the tax rates are, are way lower, I mean, the margins are so much bigger. So Sidhu's on like on point when it when it comes to taxes. It's a big deal. It's a big deal on where you purchase, and it's a fine line to dance, right? Because you want to be in a space where people want to live. And typically where people want to live are good school districts and all that jazz. So that means higher taxes. Yep. But it's, as long as the numbers make sense, then it's all good. But it's just something that you really need to consider. Agreed. And, um, and again, in taxes, in, the other thing with taxes, you can either pay it out at the end of the year, right? Or you can escrow them into your monthly note. And uh, generally, I like to escrow them into our, our monthly note. That way I know the full amount that's coming out each month for the house. The next, the next big cost is insurance, right? Insurance on your property, of course, you buy a house, you have to insure it. If something happens, or fire, flood, anything, you have to make sure you factor in insurance for it. Uh, and there's multiple insurances we have to kind of think about, right? So there's, the, on the mortgage side, there's something called PMI. So if you don't put 20% down, which most times investment properties, they ask you to put 20% down. So you don't have to worry that, about that mortgage insurance. Uh, but if you're not, if you're you know paying... Um, you know, anything less than 20%, they'll charge you a, you know, a one to 2% uh, mortgage insurance, right? So the insurance that I'm primarily talking about is property though. So property is, um, you know, again, for a rainy day, you know, for anything that happens in a fire, flood, uh, right. catastrophe on the actual building itself, you need to have insurance. And that, you know, on a hundred thousand property, I'm, I just ballpark some of these numbers is about, you know, 12 to 1500 a, a year. Right, so it can be a hundred dollars, hundred and twenty-five dollars again on top of your normal note. These costs, they add up, right? So you have taxes, that's a couple hundred. Insurance, that's another hundred. So instead of just taking just the mortgage itself, you gotta you gotta think these fees tack on itself, right? And it's gonna be all in. I would say probably another three to four hundred, just on an average hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollar house. For sure, and and to 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 touch on that as well, taxes and insurance typically can be escrowed into your mortgage payment. And yep. so I'm actually just now starting to do the, the non-escrow route on some of the properties. And it makes you feel like, oh my gosh, the margins are huge. Like if I'm just paying principal and interest, yeah. it's like, oh, oh wow, like I'm making a lot of profits. But then since this is my first year, I'm really feeling it out. I have a gauge of what the insurance and taxes are going to be. But still, it's like you need to allocate that money. Like it's not something you could just spend, right? Yep. And so whether you escrow it, it's, it's kind of, it, it gives you less of a headache when you, when you escrow, because you know, your all in number is this much and my rent needs to be higher than that. Um, but you have the ability to escrow it just to make it a little bit less of a headache. For sure. And as we go down our fees, hidden fees, the next big, so I'm going from largest to, 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 to smallest HOA fees are going to be another big one. Um, depending on if it's a house, HOA fees are pretty nominal. If you're not, again, this varies from area to area. If you're in a high end area, big amenities like pools, parks, things like that in your area, HOA fees are generally going to be higher, right? Right. Most, most you know, reasonable rentable areas are going to be in the, you know, three to $400 a year range for HOAs. And, um, the one thing I like to kind of let people know is that, especially with condos, townhomes, if you guys are investing in those kind of properties, this can be a big kicker that actually can eat into your profits because they right. actually charge almost two to three, maybe even $400 a month in, in HOA fees because you, uh, in a condo, the actual building itself is being insured, maintained by the condo facilities, the people, the apartment. Right. 
right? So they have to collect their funds, right? So if you're thinking about investing in condos and, and townhomes, that's a big hidden fee. So just make sure when you run your numbers, it has to factor in those HOA fees. So housing is generally about three to 400 in the, in the medium range, whenever you're uh, talking about HOA fees. Right. Um, and then of course you have your, your legal fees whenever you're closing on a, on a, on a, on a uh, property, which is just the underwriting paperwork, law firms that are involved in, in draw, drafting the, the paperwork and then realtor fees. Realtor fees is meaning whoever found the, the property for you, you have to pay them, right? And, or, and, and, and vice versa. If you sell the a property, you have to actually pay that. Or if you even rent a property out and using a realtor, you're going to have to pay them at least a one month's uh, rent for finding that good tenant or uh, whoever else is going to be occupying the uh, property. Right. Exactly. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely... Um, the realtor fees is, is, uh, and I'm not saying it's, it's like, oh man, you have to pay the realtor fee. It's like they work for it and they, they deserve that money, but it's something that you need to factor in. Like, for example, I exclusively use a realtor to find tenants because I know my realtor does an amazing job. Like he, he's done a great job thus far, um, finding me good tenants. So I'm happy to pay that one month, uh, of rent just to, to make sure that that's covered. And that's one less headache for me, but it's, it is a fact that it's eating into my profits, you know? And so it's, it's one thing that I don't want it to be a yearly thing, right? So that's why I want to have like a good tenant that's going to be there for multiple years. And it kind of makes it work, worthwhile paying that, uh, that one month rent. Oh, yeah. And, and, and all these fees you can generate ballpark. Again, this is, this is where researching, right? And I think we iterate this on, on all our shows. I think we'll do another show just on just actually calculating the numbers themselves. You know, just doing some sample uh, data sets because I think actually seeing it will will actually put it into perspective. But again, running the numbers and, and, and I think Saj mentioned that you know he kind of looks in a certain area. I, I kind of do the same thing, right? I, I look in certain areas. I know the price points I'm looking for. And once you've done researching on a, a, quite a few properties, you you'll have a ballpark idea of what these costs are going to be, and they're generally about the same in those areas. So that's the way I kind of look at it. No, definitely. I feel like that's the best way to do it. Just to, you know, hone in on a spot and kind of know the area. Like, like I think that's when you run analysis, you start, get, you build that muscle in your mind. Like, oh, I know what's, what it's going to cost over here. So that way you feel more comfortable. And I think at the end of the day, you need to be comfortable with what you're investing in. And to get comfortable, you have to know all the numbers. You have to know what you're walking yourself into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so now on that, I mean, you know, we have the hidden cost when you're buying this property, right? So there's a ton of costs that a lot of people don't take into factor after you acquired it, right? So you have, right. you have things that, uh, again, the buck doesn't stop when you buy the property, right? I mean, the tenant's not taking care of the house. So what are some things that, that you have seen in your experience that are costs that should be accounted for, at least from a, from a, if you're managing the property yourself, you know, what are things that you should at least account for? just for, you know, things to handle with the property once you've acquired it. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think generally speaking, there's a term called capital expenditures or also called CapEx. These are big ticket items, such as like your down payment. So that's kind of associated to purchasing, but there's also like big ticket items that are going to last for a long time and you can depreciate um, if you replace a dishwasher or like general repairs to the house that are going to add value to the house. Um, that would be considered a capital expenditure. And so like an AC unit, that's a capital expenditure, but you're paying a lot of money up front, but it lasts you for many, many years, right? Uh, you know, so HVAC, like uh, dishwashers, appliances, things like that would, would be, I would consider a capital expenditure because you have to just be prepared for it. So when you look at a house and you walk through it and stuff and you look at that oven and you're like, oh, that oven's old. 
So I got to prepare for, for replacing that oven. Like that would be considered a capital expenditure. Um, so that's something you got to look at. Sometimes, you know, like you buy a brand new house, like a make ready, it's already done for you. So you don't have to consider that much, you know, you don't have to allocate that much money for capital expenditures. But when you buy an older house, like what I, my goal is to buy older houses that need to be repaired because I feel like there's more value there. And so I take care of the capital expenditures on the front end when I'm renovating everything, right? So I walk into a property and so that way I knock it all out on the front end and then I, I buy myself years. Like the roof is a capital expenditure. If I replace the roof, I know I have like 25, maybe 20, 25 years before I have to worry about it again. Uh, same thing with like a dishwasher or things of that nature, right? So, so that's something to consider. Home insurance, I know we talked about that when we purchase, but uh, also home insurance, when you talk about the areas that you're in, it varies. So like, I've recently been looking into trying to get into Galveston, uh, like near water, right? And it's a huge difference when it comes to insurance okay. because there's flooding that might be uh, involved. There's the, the wear and tear of your property because of the salt water that's in the air. Oh yeah, It, it deteriorates things. And that's something I, I did not know about. Um, but when you do your research, you have to you know factor in like, I'm just making up numbers, but let's say insurance for a house in the burbs of Houston are like, 3,000 over there, it might be five or 6,000, right? I mean, just because the bank needs to protect themselves and that's what they want that extra insurance. And so that's kind of what it is. So <clears throat> when you're looking at the different markets that you're trying to get into, you really need to be mindful of that. I think, so I think you hit it right on the nail. So like we live in Houston, again, you mentioned that, but it's the thing is we have flood prone areas, right? So I'm actually, sure. I've actually put flood policies, which is an additional insurance on top of what you're normally paying. So if you're paying $1,500 for a home insurance, again, uh, FEMA flood insurance ranges from anywhere from four to five, maybe even $600, depending on where you're at. So that's another cost that's kind of right. hidden. Again, it's up to you as a, as an owner, how you want to protect yourself. But you know, we've been through many of these here in Houston and we've seen yeah. the causes and, and if you're willing to, you know, have the money for it, you know, to come out of your pocket, Right. Um, if it does happen, right, it's a risk you're willing. It, it, it depends on how much risk you're willing to tolerate, right? But uh, that's another hidden cost. Flood insurance is huge. It's it's, it's yeah. another five hundred bucks a year. Right. Yeah. It's it's a big deal, and like it goes back to the whole peace of mind. Like mm -hmm. sometimes you're in a flood zone, you're gonna have to, the bank is gonna force you to get flood insurance. Like it's just what it is. But there's some areas like Sid was talking about, like in Houston, some areas that never flooded before flooded, and so. Sometimes you just want to have that extra protection because that's a lot of money if, you're, if your house floods to replace all the flooring and replace all the sheetrock and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a peace of mind, but you're paying for it. And so, again, like if the numbers work, then go for it, you know. Um, if the numbers don't work, then you either take that risk or you move on to the next property as far as like when you're trying to purchase something. So that's the home insurance, you know, touch of it. And then there's also repairs. Generally speaking, like there's going to be repairs, like, you know, just wear and tear on the house, toilets are going to leak, faucets are going to have to be replaced, things like that. So you want to be able to allocate some type of money for that uh, on an ongoing basis, just because it's going to happen. It's not a, it's not an if, it's a when. So you have to allocate money for that. Um, I mean, over the years, I remember early on when, when I would get a call for a repair, I would just be like, oh my gosh, like that's another X amount of dollars I got to pay to yeah. fix this. Um, but now as time has progressed, I just, I don't care anymore. I'm just like, ah, oh, it's a part of the game. You know, I've allocated the money for it. So it kind of gives you a peace of mind when you know, walking into it, that toilet is going to have to be fixed. That faucet is going to have to be replaced. And you, you have the money allocated for it. When that call does come, you're ready. You're, you're, you're already ready to make the call to the repair guy 
to make it happen. So yeah, it's as long as you are prepared financially to take care of that, like, you know, but you have to mentally. Let me ask you a question. So how much do you allocate for repairs themselves? Like, I mean, what do you have a rule of thumb you go by on repairs? Like, I mean, do you put a certain amount aside every month for repairs? Like what, what do you follow? I try to keep um, a certain amount of money for each property for right. those types of repairs. Like I, I think, uh, I think I'm at like 5,000 per property. And so that doesn't mean like 5,000 sitting in an account doing nothing. That could be 5,000 sitting in my 401k that I have access to, right? Yeah. Or that could be 5,000 in some kind of account where I could just pull that money or just have access to that money. I don't want to go into debt fixing something. So I want to have liquid cash record, you know, reach it. Okay. But I don't want that cash just in there doing nothing, right? So it could be earning money somewhere else. But so in my mind, mentally, I want to have 5,000 per property because if something comes up, I want to be able to have cash to pay it, you know? Definitely. Um, but cash on hand, if you have a couple thousand, you know, per year for um, – for each house, I think you'll be more than enough. You'll be more than safe. Uh, you know, when little things come up, right. Cause you know, like when a faucet gets broken and stuff like that, you're not paying thousands of dollars for replacing a faucet, right. It's a couple hundred. So, you know, when you hire somebody else to do it, right. Or you could do it yourself. Right. I mean, like there, there's a lot of options to save money, but when you how save, big that faucet is, unless the pipe breaks, <laughs> that's true. That's true. If the, if the pipe, which has happened to me, I've had pipes break under the, under the foundation where we had to replace a bunch of stuff. And so those are things that you have to be mindful of when it comes to repairs, you know, but that's why you should have like funds somewhere to, to touch on when you need that money. Um, moving forward, vacancies is something that needs to be considered uh, when you, you know, when you're thinking of these hidden costs. Um, if a house is on the market for like many months, that you're paying for that insurance, you're paying for that mortgage, you're paying for even like turning on the electricity and water, and heat and gas, you have to turn that stuff on. So when people view the house, they could see the light, they could turn on the lights, they can know that the heat works, they can know that the AC is running, you know, they can know that the water faucets are running. So, so those are costs that are, um, it's not huge. I mean, if you've allocated enough money to, to run the shop, but it's a little annoying, right? Like when you like, let's say, for example, someone moves out of my house, and I put it up on the market, I have to immediately turn on all the utilities. So that so that when people are going into showing, they could see that everything is working. And so that's money out of my pocket to, to be able to turn that stuff on. Again, it's not like crazy amounts of money, but it's still something to consider. So vacancies or something. And then the, the months that are, they are vacant, you're paying for everything. So that, that's why it's important on the front end to really get a good tenant that's going to stay there for a long time. Because those turnaround, and I guess going to the next item, uh, turnaround cost. Like the longer someone stays there, it's great but the longer, the more wear and tear that's going to be on a property. I, I had a tenant live in a house for, I think it was five years. And that was awesome because they paid on time and everything was good. Um, and it's just over time, there's wear and tear on the house. Like the walls became very dirty. The floors got stained. So when they moved out, I made a ton of money on them because it was five years of rent. But um, I had to spend a good chunk of money to replace all the flooring, to paint all the walls and all that stuff. So fun. Um, so funny story on wear, wear and tear. I had a, I had a, a guy live in a house because it was between floods, right? Um, and one of my houses, he had eight kids. <laughs> so imagine, imagine the wear and tear, right? So it's, it's, I mean, I needed somebody in the house, right? And, and so we actually got him in there, but he was actually in there early for six months. I mean, granted, he did keep the house pretty, pretty well. And it was redone before it got in there. But I mean, just imagine eight kids running through a house. You can't stop yeah. the, the, the stuff that the kids do, right? I mean, 
paint's going to be just falling off the wall. They're touching everything. I mean, so you yeah. get those turnover costs are, it's crazy, but we don't think about these, but these are small things that, you know, we have to kind of factor in almost every dollar when it comes yeah. to, so it's, it's a, a great point. Yeah. And, and it's not like these are bad people. It's no. just like, I look at my own house. I have kids and like, yeah. there's wear and tear on this house. Like there are walls that need to be painted. There's some floors that have stains. It's just kind of what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But you just walk into it knowing like, Hey man, like these are costs that we need to cover. And to be honest, like I happily cover that because it's, it's increasing the value of my house. It's making it more attractive for the next tenant. Whenever I do those turnarounds, um, it's not fun to make those pay those, you know, bills when you have to replace the flooring and all that stuff. But when you quickly get it rented out, like it all kind of goes hand in hand, right? You spend the money to make it look nice. So it's not on the market for many days. And then, you know, you get a new tenant in there. That's good. That wants to live in there and take care of it. Like, um, yeah, but those are things that need to be considered, uh, when you're getting to this and really because of all those things that I listed, it kind of honed into what type of property I want. Like, for example, like talking about painting the walls, um, that seems like a little thing, but if the walls are two story and there's a lot of walls, it's, it costs a lot more. So if you have like a smaller home that you could paint quickly, it, it, it just costs much less. If you have uh, five bathrooms, that's a lot of faucets and a lot of toilets that need to be replaced or fixed or whatever. So yep. if you have two or two and a half bathhouse, it kind of makes it a little bit nicer. There are trade-offs in that because the bigger the house, you might be able to pull more rent, but it's just what are you willing to deal with, right? And so because of these things that we've kind of walked through, it kind of honed in on what type of property I like um, to manage. Yep. Um, yeah, so like, I guess, Sidji, what do you think? Is there anything else that we should add or any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think this, I think this really just highlights the importance of running numbers, right? I mean, you really have to run not just the mortgage you owe every month, not just, you know, uh, you know that, that can't be the end-all be-all, right? You have all these factors that we just discussed, right? I mean, because it makes... You're talking about these fees I think we listed are probably going to be close to even double what your mortgage is generally, I would say. What would, what would yeah. you say? It, no, it would, well, like so I've noticed, um, so we talk about principal interest, the PITI, right? Principal yeah. interest tax insurance, right? Yeah. Principal and interest are typically the same, or the same or less than the taxes and insurance. Yep. So when I started escrowing, I saw that, oh, it was this number. And then when I did not escrow, it was literally half. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you have to allocate like half of your mortgage and interest uh, when you when you think about and that that's only talking about uh, insurance and taxes. Right. Yep. So consider HOA fees. You have to consider like the closing costs and CapEx and all the home insurance, you know, like all those things repairs. I would say, yeah, you're right, man. Like it would be pretty much double Almost your mortgage, you know, in, in most yeah. cases, let's just say. Right. And, and, and so that's the importance of it at the end of the day you know, you want to rent and make it an investment where you can make money off of it and not something where it's going to be, you know, deter- at the end of the day, if you had to pay HOA fees, it's going to come out of your pocket, right? So, right. I mean, you don't want to be under, right, uh, whenever you make these because it's an investment. It's sure. not, yeah. it's not yeah. supposed to be something that's going to put you in debt. So that's the importance of looking through these. And I think, um, you know, it's very important. You have to make sure you take factor into that. Sure. And I also want to mention... Like, don't let all of this stuff deter you from investing. Because, mm-hmm. like, when, when I first started, I was negative 50 bucks. Like, I was paying 50 bucks to, to have the house rented. And, like, on the surface, I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, I'm not really making any money per month. 
but you are making equity. Like you are, someone else is paying for a great majority of your mortgage, you know? So like, although there's fees to be considered, this is just a, a guideline. And honestly, we probably didn't cover everything else that's out there. Like these are just like highlights that we kind of know that we've experienced, right? So there might be more out there, but overall, it's still it's still beneficial for you to actually dive into this game if you're willing to to play in the market in, in the market, you know. So it's a uh, don't let all this stuff scare you from from getting your first deal and getting a property and being a landlord. Agreed. Cool, man. So I guess I mean I think that wraps up today's episode. I, I think it was a good one. I hope you found it helpful. Let us know what you think. Uh, again, like we want this to be a conversation. Like if we miss something, please leave it in the comments. <laughs> Let us know what your thoughts are on, on all of it, right? And um, if you have questions or concerns, like whatever we know. And again, like I don't want to sit here and, and pretend like we're the experts and we know everything, but whatever we do know, we want to share with the hope that you will share as well. Like we want to learn as well. So please like let this be a conversation. Open um, Yes, yes. Open if forum. If there's new topics, anything that I mean, want to be, that's, you know, I, I'd like to even, you know, if, if it's something I like to do research on and, and learn more about it and we can, we can discuss it, I'm open to that too, you know? For, so. for sure. So share, share as much as you want to share, man. We're ready to hear. So again, thanks for joining us. Uh, and I guess we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin. Be sure to tune in next time.